You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. I am a bedroom Beethoven. <laughs> Welcome to episode 85 of the podcast. Follow me as I travel 7,500 miles from my recording studio to the other side of the world. My guest this week is... Yeah. My name is Eric Lau of Chinese descent, and I currently reside in Xiamen in, in southeast China. I am a music producer and mix engineer, and I play records sometimes to people. Hey, I'm one of the lucky ones, where I can sit down with Eric multiple times during a seven-year period. This time, Eric Lau is no longer a London-based music producer, as I catch up with him in Southeast China as a newlywed, and now I can add mixing engineer to his resume. But one thing remains the same. He's still focused on making music that connects people and has a positive impact on society. So what does that mean exactly? Well, he is now a mix engineer with a producer sensibility, and he's collaborated with artists like Lord Finesse, Masego, DJ Jazzy Jeff, Yusuf Kamal, and many more. He's never missed a deadline because he's what we call a professional, y'all. Real quick, before we get into the conversation, in these strange times, if you find yourself listening to this podcast, enjoying this podcast, I gotta be honest, I want to make a little money from this so, you know, I can keep the show going week after week, pushing along like a well-oiled machine without ads, without interruptions, and you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash bedroombeethovens. Give a buck or two, and in return, you get access to early episodes and other perks. Like, comment, and subscribe to social media channels if you want to support me. And you can also visit the website at bedroombeethovens.com. Anybody who has listened to, had a friend recommend, or simply heard about a podcast knows there's a lot of podcast content out there. So if you're here right now with me, I greatly appreciate it. Feel free to recommend the show to a friend who you think would enjoy it. More people need to hear about the show. More people need to know about Eric. More, more, more. All right. That's the elevator pitch. What awaits is Eric Lau's story, and we shall start now. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
yeah, I caught up with you in, in 2013 and we had a great chat. But as I revisited more and more articles on you, journalists would say that you have studiously been avoiding attention and that only recently did you want to become more visible. So whether that is true or not, I still appreciate you taking the time out to do this podcast because there have been quite a few Asians on the show. You know, there's Pat Locke, Rhett Maddox, Shingo Two, Mark DeClive Lowe. I like promoting the work of people with different cultural backgrounds so they can hear these stories and perhaps become inspired by them. Yeah, I think that's very important. So respect to you for giving us a platform. I think it's more important like um, nowadays to be able to just have a voice. You know, before, as I said, like I really wanted the music just to speak for itself. But the more and more I traveled and did shows and the more and more social media became more prevalent, I understood that people seeing that I'm an Asian person, Chinese person, it kind of changes perceptions and it could inspire, you know, other people from different backgrounds to think, okay, cool, it really doesn't matter where you're from, you can still express yourself and do what you want to do and, you know, be successful in that, you know, so it could could inspire. So why would I try not to... Yeah, why why would I try to potentially avoid inspiring another person? So, you know, I have consciously become a bit more visible and a bit more available. So I have good timing, I guess you could say. And you're you're in South South China right now, correct? Yeah, Southeast China. Southeast. See, I'm in, so I'm in the US and the way the media spins it right now, they want us to be mortal enemies. You know, every day I turn on the news, they keep saying, the, or, or, you know, our my president, he was not my president, but he is the president of the United States. They keep saying that the entire reason the virus exists and has spread the way it has is because of the Chinese government's criminal negligence. So this isn't a political podcast, it's a music podcast. So I want to know how you're doing, how you're dealing with this. As someone <laughs> in China, maybe you can tell me how it really is from your perspective, because in the U.S. it's a mess. But from your perspective in China, how is it? It's, it's incredible the way they handled it, not only from the, the top, but from the people. The people didn't complain. Uh, they followed protocol. There's, I didn't see a level of, how do, I don't know, panic. I think because the SARS happened here, you know, uh, years back and, you know, various other kind of you know, things such as like earthquakes or whatever, people kind of really come together here and respect the process. And with the virus, you know, I remember when it happened, I was meant to be going on uh, a holiday to uh, Yunnan, which is another province kind of bordering Thailand in, in, in China for Chinese New Year holiday. And then all these kind of reports came in about the virus and, you know, we thought, okay, maybe it's safer to cancel it. And then from then on, just seeing uh, the way they handled it in terms of using technology in the right way. So they have like Weibo, right, which is kind of like Twitter. And they built this applet inside it so that you can kind of check in your province, in your city, in your local district, how many people are infected and it shows the uh, kind of anonymous um, names, well, not names, like people that are infected, it shows you have to kind of do a log of where you've been if you've been infected. So you can check 
if you've been on this particular bus on a, t- a certain time, particular train. So you can kind of look at that record and see like, oh, I might have been in the vicinity of that person. And then I can see if I've got, you know, symptoms and get checked out, whatever. So this is all, you know, as real time as it can be. And to me, that was phenomenal, the way they did that. And everyone could, you know, get to a hospital hospital to have, you know, get checked out. Yeah, you might have to wait, but, you know, it's free. It's there. And even I, I heard in some places where it was very busy in terms of the hospitals, people would even get fed in, in the queue. Is also not only how they've handled the situation, but... It wasn't really until two years ago when you got to travel and tour Asia where you were like, okay, this is the most important trip of my life, and I feel recalibrated. So it seems being in London too long, being in L.A. too long, no matter where you are, if you're not learning more about your heritage and being surrounded by those things, you can feel a bit off kilter. 100%. You know, I was born and raised in England. And, um, you know, where I grew up is a predominantly white neighborhood and you know when you're young you just want to fit in and you fit in with whatever the culture is and then you know the more you grow up and you're more around diverse people you kind of realize and and when you travel you realize who you are more and more and you know I'm very thankful that I've had these opportunities so that I can even be more willing to embrace my culture and heritage more um, and not be pressured into just fitting in to whatever that Western ideal is, you, you know. Is that why Bruce Lee meant so much to you, because he was British and Chinese? Uh, he wasn't British, actually. He, he, well, he was... I, I think his grandfather had an affair with a British woman, so he was a quarter English. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I, so I thought I was like, okay, well, there's this guy who's in in Cambridgeshire where there's not a lot of people from Hong Kong, and I thought maybe he was a hero to you because maybe he was part British, part Chinese, and he achieved all of these monumental things, and he shared your heritage, and I thought that was important for you. But I, I don't think a lot of people know that he was quarter English. I mean, I'm actually fully Chinese. Like my parents are both Chinese, Hong Kong. So, but the the British thing. I gotta say the 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 more I, I you know the more you grow up the more you know yourself and the more you know your spirit I don't think any of my values or belief systems are British in any way I have a British passport and that's about it and I speak English because I've had to That's it. interesting I mean cuz I'm I was I was looking at Cambridgeshire <laughs> I was trying to see if there's any like bad hoods out there like maybe there was some attack the block type gangsters and <laughs> no. the only thing i was only thing people said was to <laughs> avoid king's hedges and arbury but for the most part it's a beautiful area <laughs> no nah, you nah, you're good there like really like it's not <laughs> but i do have some sad news though for you um because of covid um there is over by finsbury park there is a restaurant called dotori that because of COVID, they can only operate at thirty percent capacity, and they might be closing down soon. Oh no! They're, they're, they're my people there. I used to love going there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow! You, how do you know this? 
<laughs> I'm just trying to give you, uh, you know, some some positives about where you grew up. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> I mean, no, no. I value the, I value all the people that I've met and my friends, of course, and I value seeing what type of. Because I, I went to a, a private school when I was younger as well. I went from a from a public school, normal, you know, free public school to a private school, and seeing that type of the kind of traditional old English kind of boys' club mentality kind of vibe, right? I had to kind of be within that and see what that is, and I'm as much as I hated it, right, when I was young. I'm glad I went through it so I know how these people think. So when they're coming with that kind of deceptive sideways kind of talk, I know exactly what they mean. <laughs> yeah. And and so you you learn that and then you go to university and there's this fork in the road between wanting to do music and wanting to do business. So how did you decide that music was what was right for you? Because that's a pivotal time in one's life, figuring out who you are and what you want to do, spending the time to get the credentials in order to jumpstart a career if you chose to get a career in business and realized when you were 30 or 35 that you wanted to do music the cost of procrastination is the life you could have lived you would have lost 10 years of precious time to hone your craft yeah it wasn't a hard decision it was i was not interested in my degree i don't feel i learned anything but the business side of things kind of helps you like when when someone offers you a record contract and there's a dollar amount attached the rest becomes irrelevant for artists pressed for money. You know, you hear people like Kanye West, like, yeah, when I got my first deal, I went to Jacob the Jeweler and I bought a chain. Like how people buy cars by looking at the price and not the interest rate. So it's heartbreaking when you realize the business you fought so hard to break into doesn't treat you the way you felt you should be. So you have a business degree, so you kind of know how record contracts work, how people are. So that that could have helped. No, it didn't. I'll be real with you again. Like my degree was terrible. Like it, it, it was really bad, um, and it was not music specific either. So it was a general business studies degree. So you would do basic accounting, basic. You know, I, I majored in marketing, and you know some HR stuff or whatever. But it was all very generic and very um, logical to me. So your grandfather on your mother's side and your uncle's family, they're businessmen, right? They have kind of, I mean, like my grandparents, you were thinking, or maybe they were thinking like, Hey, if you get a degree in business, Eric can be a businessman. Maybe he can take it over. It's my kind of father was like the first, and my mother was the first kind of business people. And, you know, they showed me what hard work is and sacrifices and, you know, like detail in terms of preparation, um, that type of mentality that, you know, they instilled in me without even trying. It's just me observing and being around that and, you know, having to help out in the shop. Not as much as my brother and sister. They had to do a lot more than me because they're older than me. But still, when I was a teenager, having to do the mopping or pick the bones out the fish, or whatever it is to help, they would make me do that, and they would re- reward me and give me some pocket money for it. So I had to earn earn that at least. You know, what I mean, I understood what that was. You know, you can say, "Oh, I was passionate about this or whatever," but you were able to capitalize on the peak uh, I know of, those of tech him. Platforms. I've never met him. So 
you know, you might have been working at a you know sneaker store or whatever, but you you knew the value of SoundClick and MySpace and how to use those platforms to gain an audience. Now, the desire to share, right? And then to kind of get feedback, really, because I'm just learning. I'm like, okay, cool. I think this is cool. You know, I enjoyed making it. You know, what's the feedback? Um, and then the kind of competitiveness of like, okay, cool. Um, these are my skills. You know, let's let's see what's out there and kind of trying to up my game and you know, just see where I stand in that uh, in the early stages. You know, now it's, I'm not really thinking about that at all. But when you're younger, you know, there, there's an element of that. And your parents, I'm sure, have come around since then. That was early in your career. Like, you know, many stories that I hear on this podcast is the parents need to see tangible results in order to, like, approve a music career. I have, I've talked to a lot of high-profile musicians, and they're like, yeah, my parents wanted me to be a lawyer, and then I finally won a Grammy, and they eased up on me a bit. And I'm like, oh, it just, it just, it took getting the highest accolade in music for them to come around, you know, but that's, that's how they are. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that. Like if I, if I'm a parent, <laughs> I would kind of feel the same way, especially if there's no background of it. You know, it's not like I studied it from young and did a course in it or, or, you know, had any type of um, support system around that. So I would be concerned as a parent, but you know now that they see that I'm happy and I'm I'm making a living from it, I'm stable, like, at ease now. But they've always been supportive of my happiness, right? That's that's the that's the main thing. If there's kids in the picture someday for you, and they say, "Dad, I want to follow in your footsteps," would you encourage it based on those principles? Yeah, if it, if it's one, what they wanted to do, but I would always say have backup plans. You know, if you're not going to make it as an artist, make sure if you want to do music, you're prepared to use your skills to do other things within that. Because from my observations, it's 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 tough. Y- your frequent collaborator Tawaya, she came out with an EP in 2008. And it got the attention of Mark Ronson. She toured. There was hype. There was momentum. We started off by saying it's nothing. Let's have some fun. And now we talk about running away. But what she didn't realize is now that she's signed, she's no longer an artist. She's a product a product in something called the music business, and they fought to change her image, her music, to conform what's on the radio, what's hot right now. And it took her another full decade to get over that hurdle and release her debut album. On the flip side, you recognize Masego really early on his career, and now he has 620,000 Instagram followers, and he seems to be doing pretty okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm a fan of music, first and foremost, and like... I. I believe I can see something special immediately. It doesn't take <laughs> it doesn't take long. And you know, with Masego and Mutalia, like you just know when you meet them or you you know you hear their music, you know within seconds. You know, and um, I'm just grateful to be part of their journey in some way. 
Well, like uh, Tawaya's sound was developed in church. Chris Daddy Dave's sound was developed in the Houston church scene. Odyssey's devout Muslim who uses a lot of spiritual elements in his music. So I'm starting to see kind of a pattern with your collaborators. Do you value these elements in your music or the people you just surround yourself with? 100%. Like, you know, my question is when, if you're going to work intimately with someone, you know, you you would like to be able to say that you could be friends with them, <laughs> you know, and, and that you have a commonality in terms of what you stand for, in terms of your core values, in terms of the message that you're trying to give to people within the music. So that's very important to me. Very, very important. Like what, you know, what's your spirit saying? That's, that's one of the main things. I like that. I'm I'm glad that you're able to speak about these people. I'm really glad now in your career, you're able to work with these legends. Like I was telling you before we hit record, I got that Lord finesse project. I see your name on the back and I'm like, Whoa, you were only nine years old when Funky Technician came out, and now you're mixing <laughs> in his yeah. latest release. So I was just like, wow, man. It's like I'm, you know, to evolve from a producer to play the role of a mix engineer, like how did those events come to fruition? Uh, <sighs> like, did you hang around Young Guru and be like, yeah, I could do that. I'll do that someday. I don't know. I mean, it's just being um, a student, really of music and 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 trying to just create the sound that I see in my head and you know my quest for that have have led people to me so the first project I mixed uh was the Yusuf Kamal record where those guys came to me last minute because you know they were having a few troubles with some of the mixes and they said they really liked my sound and whether I could help them out. And I'd never mixed anyone else's music at that point. So I said, yeah, sure. You know, I, you know, I can give it a go. I'm pretty confident I can get, get a sound. That did really well. And then at that stage, kind of parallel to that, I had, you know, Jazzy Jeff reached out to me because he finally heard my music from James Poyser playing in my music. And then um, he invited me to his, for the playlist, um, sessions, which is just like a bit different from the retreat where there's a gathering with, you know, like a whole bunch of people and, you know, there's workshops and, you know, collaborations. But the sessions was just you know more for just making music so it's a smaller group of people so you've got like James Poyser, Stroy Elliott, Steve McKee, Andre, Dre and Vidal you know Daniel Crawford a whole bunch of phenomenal musicians right so I'm there I'm not a musician like that so what I need to find my role and um ended up engineering the sessions and trying to kind of give in that way. And then Jeff, you know, kind of just trusted in me to kind of steer the ship. And then that led on to kind of doing pre-mixes and then to, you know, actually mixing some of the records. I had like elders like to me, you know, like Kilo Saunders, who produced for The Roots and, you know, was an engineer 
live engineer for D'Angelo, um, Rafael Sadiq, Jay-Z. And then I'd met Guru as well before that. And then Montez, who does, you know, again, a lot of engineering for a lot of the Philly scene. And Vidal, who, who's a mix engineer as, as well as a producer. So I would learn off all of those guys. And they were all encouraging me to steer the ship and to do it. So it gave me a lot of confidence, you know. Like, I didn't have that opportunity in London. No one put me in that position to do that. It's it's almost kind of a, th- a thankless job, though, right? Because like when you think of voodoo, people might think it's Questlove's drums that make it timeless or D'Angelo's singing. You never hear, oh, voodoo's timeless because Russell Elevato worked on it. The people that know will say that, <laughs> but um, oh, of course, of course. But if you're like if you're an egomaniac and you want everyone to know your work, it it can be kind of thankless. Nowadays, it's not the priority because of technology and budgets you know having the right recording engineer or the right mixer is not it's not at the forefront of what the record label is thinking about anymore i'm so glad you said that seven years ago you told me that production value had decreased across the board because the quality of listening has gone down with ipod headphones and laptop speakers and that technology has put more emphasis on the visual aspect over sonic quality now, here we are seven years later, and you're a mix engineer. Do we have better facilities? Have we shifted back towards the listening experience again on a mass level? I, I don't know about that. Not on. I think within the music community and music lovers, yes, you know, as vinyl sales has, uh, has gone up, and because of YouTube and information, music makers are a bit more aware of technology, uh, software and hardware in terms of their tools of recording and and making music uh, and the best practice. But at the same time, if you look at the best selling software and and hardware, it's usually entry level stuff still. So to get to the level of where what Russ was doing with D'Angelo they're recording at Electric Lady Land and using tape. That's not happening. It's still not happening. Only him and a few people are doing that consistently. So the awareness of it has gone up, but the actual practice of it is not hasn't changed. And it's because it sounds better, but it's more labor intensive and people don't want to do the work. It's not that they don't want to do the work, it's 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 the going that extra step to do that and um i don't you know i think i think the speed of things you know people are so used to cutting a record you know getting sent the the music or you write a piece of music you record it at home and you know you do a pre-mix and maybe get someone else to mix it and then you know you're mastering it yourself and then it's putting it on the the streaming platforms like in the in you know in a day it's like that can happen, which is great for convenience and for trapping things in a certain time, which is great. You know, that's like 
fantastic, but at the same time, you have something like, I, I give the example of Russell Elevado again, it takes time to, to, to set up a mix and to spend a few days on it. And it's all analog. It, it, there's, there's a depth and texture that you just can't, you can't do in, 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 in a digital fast world. It's not possible. Well, I, I have one last question that pertains to you as a music maker, if you don't mind. Jazzy Jeff's M3, when he put that out with your contributions, of course, it had been 11 years since his last album. And he took that long of a break because he became dis- disillusioned with the industry. He needed the level of control to shift back to the artists. So being 100% independent works for him. Do you mirror those same demands in your career? I've been fortunate that I haven't you know, being screwed over that badly. All all my projects have been like pretty much like one album deals or, you know, um, short-term things. So I've never been tied in like with a major, you know, like Jeff. And um, his business on that level is like, huge you know in, in the numbers and the figures of what him and will were doing were big you know compared <laughs> compared to what i'm doing right they were like you know the biggest young stars you know there was at that time so if you add that up over years and years of 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 ownership of 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 writing and royalties and and being tied in then that's gonna really, that's gonna really hurt you. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, and also, you know, I, I think you're one of the few musicians that pre-COVID that felt that it is a privilege to go to other countries and play music. I think of a lot of musicians realize it now, but I think also a lot of musicians are twirling their thumbs waiting for the pandemic to pass. But you found a pivot point, being a mix engineer, maybe to continue using your role to uplift people's spirits through your music and as a human being, very smart. Uh, you know, from my perspective and as someone who signs, you know, one album deals and all this, maybe you're someone who wants to release two albums a decade versus releasing a project every year and saturating the market. I, I have to ask what should people be on the lookout for? Is there anything to anticipate? Are there any projects that you want to plug? You know, I give you the floor. It's like, if I, if I want to do something, I, I really want to do something really well and get good at it. So when, I, when kind of Jeff put me in that position, I was like, okay, I, I want to get great at this. I got to put in the work and, you know, being at the playlist and being in that environment gave me the confidence and it made me very determined again. And that allowed me to, for people to come to me, people were coming to me to, to mix their records. And I was very thankful that I got to have those opportunities at early stages of mix engineer, because I'm still learning. I'm still learning now, you know, and, um, to be trusted with that was great. And it allowed me again, not to actually be a DJ. So I didn't have to DJ to earn a living. I was mixing people's records for the last three years. That's all I've been doing, like literally nonstop, which has been great because I've not had to be on the road to rely for my income. And, you know, I can work from home and I can be crafting people's records and, 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 
and learning at the same time, which is so, so rare. Um, so I'm grateful for those opportunities. And, you know, going back to what you're saying, it, you know, it was all, it was all conscious. And now I've had three years off from making my own music. You know, it, it's literally time now to, to focus on, on my music again, because I don't feel whole if I'm not creating and, I actually recorded a whole bunch of stuff at Jeff's with with um, with Kaidi Tatham and with James Poyser and with a few of the other guys, and you know had a few ideas for an album. So I'm going to be working on that, and I'm going to be doing an EP first with Kaidi, um, which is going to be on First Word. Should be out early next year, maybe probably early next year. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I hope when all that music comes out, I hope we can sit down for part three without waiting another seven years to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, um, I'm I'm always down to be be on your show, and like, um, you know, I just I'm 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 grateful that that you you you're willing to give me a a platform, you know, to speak, and um, you know, I appreciate all the detail that you go into as well. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And you know, your day is just getting started and mine's about to end. That's how time zones work. <laughs> say hello to your lovely wife for me, man, and thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Like I definitely say hello to the wife. <laughs>